Hi, my name is Alicia Vela Anderson, and I'm the youth pastor at Roseville Covenant Church. If I could choose any fictional character to be my youth pastor, it would be C.J. Craig from the West Wing. My name is Alicia Vela Anderson, and I am a woman in youth ministry, and you're listening to the Women in Youth Ministry podcast, hosted by Heather Kennison. Dan Navarra. He is my friend. He's a youth pastor. He is a coach with chemistry staffing, and he's here today to talk about his call and youth pastor compensation. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. I am so glad to be on here. So, Dan, we always love to start off every interview by asking, what was your call to ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I didn't want to be a youth pastor forever or a pastor forever. Um, when I was in high school, I actually worked at an architecture firm for like four years and uh, thought that I was going to go the direction of working in architecture. And then I was just going like, to volunteer at my church. Like I always like loved serving in the church. My parents were mm-hmm. junior high youth leaders for a decade when I was younger. And uh, so that was kind of my plan. And uh, I went into college and started doing architecture classes. And my first semester of freshman year, ended and I loved architecture and I went on a college retreat over Christmas break and at two in the morning in a cabin in Lake Tahoe in a basement playing guitar with a few guys uh our college pastor just kind of like casually dropped like you know Dan you'd make a good pastor one day and I laughed in his face and we all had a good chuckle over that and uh it's fitting that we were in Lake Tahoe in the middle of winter but um the the way I describe it is that that idea snowballed for me it just started going rolling downhill and it picked up speed and it got bigger and bigger and louder and louder and uh like over the course of literally two weeks I could not shake the idea that I was doing the wrong thing with my life Mm. and so I without telling my parents I dropped my architecture classes in college and I added like communication and philosophy and psychology and uh Then like about a month later, I had like a family meeting and I was like, mom and dad, I know, you know, you're supporting me working at the architecture firm and doing architecture in college and life and everything. But I really feel like God might be calling me to ministry. And they're like, well, it's about time. We never thought you'd work behind a desk your whole life anyway. And so I had their support, which I was terrified that I wouldn't have their support, but I did. And uh, so then I reached out to the youth pastor from the youth group that I graduated from and was like, hey, I'd really love to intern. and. I kind of, uh, Duffy Robbins has an amazing book out there called This Way to Youth Ministry, and it's like a textbook for youth ministry. Um, mm. I uh, I love that book, and it has a really great description of calling. And w- the way I've parsed this out for myself and for other youth pastors I've coached along the way is there's kind of three phases of calling. And uh, the, the first phase is that personal calling. It's that whisper in your ear that God might be inviting you into something. Um, and then and sometimes that whisper comes from a person, but the second, the second level is really 
like your community calling you. It, it's this like sense of like, you talk to the mentors you have in your life, the people around you and ask them, Hey, you know, do you feel like God may want this for me and have them pray on your behalf and have them intercede mm -hmm. for you. And then I call the third phrase, the, uh, the third phase, like the ecclesial call, which is like literally a church saying, yes, we believe that you are called to ministry enough to actually like mm -hmm. give you a paycheck and like, say we're going to call you a pastor or a minister or a director or whatever the language is but like we're going to entrust you with vocational ministry um and so i spent kind of two or three years exploring that as an intern and uh at the end of that was like really affirmed like yes go become a pastor do that thing and uh so i graduated college and within a couple weeks of graduation had a job lined up at a small United Methodist church uh, in Antioch, California, where I got to lead worship and become a youth pastor. And uh, I was there for all of 11 months and um, they couldn't afford to have a second pastor. And mm. the church actually lost their senior pastor in that 11 months. And wow. uh, just, it kind of spiraled a little bit. And I was super discouraged when I got called into a personnel meeting the day after having youth group and they're like, sorry, you're done. And oh. it was like, what do you mean I'm done? Like, like, what do you mean? Like, I'm supposed to preach on Sunday at this church. And they're like, yeah, no, you're not. And I'm like, what? Like, and I'm 22 at the time. Like, I'm young. I'm green. Like, it was really, really hard for me to be like, God, is this really what you called me to? Because, you know, that was a shot to the chin. And uh, so I, you know, I had just enrolled in seminary. Um, I just started my, my Bible education at Fuller Theological and so I decided I was going to like work at a local pizza shop and go to school full time. And I did that after spending like a whole summer kind of looking for jobs and not really finding a perfect fit. And um, as soon as I started full time seminary that fall, uh, a church called me up from a little small city called Modesto, about an hour and a half from where I grew up. And like, man, they were like, we'd really love to interview you. We got your name from somebody. And I was like, you know, I'm really not interested. I've kind of got this path I'm on. I'm going to, you know, do full time seminary. And then the whole like Jonah thing happened where they're like, well, okay, let's just like let our team practice on you. And I was like, oh, okay. And let us practice on you again. And before you knew it, I was going out for a site visit and uh, they offered me the job. And so I took that and uh, I was there for five years and built a beautiful youth ministry program. And then I left when, after my wife and I got married, it, 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 it was a progressive call, but I knew that God had called me into vocational ministry because I knew that God had called me. The people around me that I trusted knew that God had called me, like they could affirm that sense in me. And then mm. I had churches believe in me. And uh, that was kind of how I got my start. And here I am, you know, it's been 15 years since that, that college retreat. And uh, I've never looked back. That's amazing. I love that idea of kind of three steps to your call. And I definitely like relate to your call story, um, especially at the beginning. My youth pastor also is like, hey, like Heather, like you're in student leadership and you're super talented. Maybe you should be a youth pastor. And I was like, oh, well, no, like <laughs> that's not for me. I've got a yeah. whole nother trajectory. I want to be the next Oprah. Like, yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> um. But it definitely, that word snowball, like I totally get it. Like it collected more and more traction and everyone around me started saying, Heather, I think this is the thing that you're supposed to do. Um, and so it was just, it was wild. Um, and so I, I love that. I, I think one of the things that's important, especially for your listeners is because that third phase can be the hardest, trickiest one is actually like landing the job. Um, 
And I think it's really important for people who feel like they've gone through the personal and the community call, like those first two phases, to not just give up when they don't get their first job that they apply for or their 15th yeah. job that they apply for, but that they they trust that community around them and they trust that spirit of God that's spoken to them, like keep after it. And there's so many great like ways to enhance your your potential to get that first job in ministry, which is a hard job to get. Um, it really, truly is. Everybody wants three to five years full-time experience. Well, how do you get three to full-time, three to five if you you know can't get a full-time job? And so, I mean, the, the company I work with, Chemistry Staffing, has an incredible candidate pool, and it's a great process to enter into uh, for anybody who's in college or young, or even if you're like thinking about your next stop in ministry, it costs nothing to become a candidate. Even if you've got a job, it's totally private. And we have uh, an amazing assessment process that we do that helps people clarify what do you really want with with the church and uh, what do you feel like God's calling you to? And so I highly recommend that. That's awesome. Well, and I think too, that third piece, like having a community affirm your call can be the hardest step for a female in ministry, especially if you grew up in a tradition that does not affirm women in ministry. And that was my case. You know, I felt this call to ministry, like my youth pastor even affirmed it. But when it came time for like the church to back me, they were like, ah, we can't do that. So it's like you see that this young woman is talented, but you don't want to like affirm her publicly. Um, and I know a lot of women who have stories like that where people said, you're really talented. However, we can't give you leadership. Um, and it took me a long time to find a church that really celebrated me. And I know that that is, is hard for a lot of women that I know, you know, do you have any advice for um, finding a church that is in line with your theology or finding a church that will celebrate who you are, not even just as a woman, but just as anyone? I don't know if it's advice. I come from an egalitarian background. I was raised in a PCUSA church that became an, e, uh, an eco church. Like, so for me, it was like we had female preaching pastors, elders, like it was a no brainer. Now the youth department I grew up in uh, was mostly male led and the women were mostly associate type people. And it was a huge youth department, um, like probably $500,000 worth of salary at its peak. Like it was a big department. And uh, so, but I always like never felt like women were less than, so it's kind of hard for me to give advice about that mindset. Like, cause I never was at a Baptist church per se or anything like that, that has a clearly complementarian slant. The church that I'm at right now, actually, when I got hired there, they did not affirm female elders. And the reason they did not do that is because our bylaws that was written 50 years ago did not, they were, they were just written, like assuming that it was going to be a man that was going to be an elder. Now, there was nothing in the bot, so it, all the language was him, him, him. Um, and so we actually had to go through and create egalitarian language in our, our bylaws this last year. What's crazy, though, is we had female pastors because there was nothing in our bylaws about how a pastor had to be a he. And so we like we walked through that process as a church this last year, and it was really difficult. I, I To your question, your question was, what's the advice I have for somebody who's trying to find their place? Um you, you got to figure out what denominations are are aligned with egalitarian ministry. I mean, the two big ones are Presbyterians and United and Methodists, um, and th that's great. Uh, the compensation survey I have kind of points to some dark shadow sides of that that we can talk about if you want to, but um, there's a lot of non-denominational churches out there 
uh, that are open to having women in leadership. I'm doing a search right now for one out here in California that's looking for a highly paid, qualified, they don't care what your gender is, person. They just want the right person. And so they're out there. I would say the search firms actually are a really great way to find those places because they're screening churches. They won't even put you in front of a church that wouldn't hire you. Like, so that's a good way to kind of like sift through that. Yeah, for sure. So how did you get interested in investigating and researching youth pastor salaries? It it came from a place of selfishness originally. I wanted to justify. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I know. It's funny, right? Super spiritual. Uh, I wanted to justify a raise to my own boss. Mm. And so I went into a Facebook group full of youth pastors online and I posted a little Google form with like 20 questions, basically saying, hey, y'all, I'm hoping to find a few people just like me. And at that point, I had like seven, eight, eight years full time experience. I had just finished my master's like, you know, hey, show me what you're making or tell me what you're making. What benefits do you have? What are your qualifications? So I posted this form. And within like half an hour, I had 400 responses. And I was like, <laughs> uh-oh, I touched a, I touched a pain point um, oh, yeah. that I wasn't fully aware that everybody else was wrestling with fully. And, um, you know, my dad, I, I'm fortunate. My dad worked for uh, hospitals and he worked in uh, management and he's always been really sharp on the HR side of things. And so he always coached me on, you know, how to ask for raises and um, how, how to negotiate when you're you know negotiating with a company that wants to hire you and things like that. And so I, I, I felt like I had some like raw skills, also some resume skills that were really helpful. Um, I, I found that a lot of youth pastors struggle to get in a room where they could have an interview um, because they lose on paper. They don't know how to make yes. themselves appear like they're qualified on paper because you know, we're really skilled at playing dodgeball, preaching the Bible and like hanging out with kids after school. We're not exactly like pro word processors or, um, you know, we don't have an eye for justification. And um, I don't mean spiritual justification. I mean, like on a piece of paper, the way you like align your, your resume. And so I, I really wanted to help youth pastors win on paper and get themselves in the door where their people skills can really come through. Um, because a lot of youth pastors, once they get that call, they are like, call from a church saying, Hey, you know, we really like to interview. They have this sense of like, Oh, I'm in, like, I can get this job. I can out interview anybody because we all think that we're good with people. Um, and so I decided when I had 400 responses in like half an hour, I was like, Holy smokes. I reached out to my buddy, Adam McLean over at the youth cartel. Good dude. Uh, my wife used to work for youth specialties and him and I got connected through that. And we, I just reached out. I was like, Hey man, like I would love some like guidance help on this. And what do you think about like publishing a report with the youth cartel and making it for free so that everybody can get the information? He was like, love it. I'll take it to Marco Stryker. And uh, Marco loved it. Nobody had been doing a comprehensive youth pastor survey um, in, a, in a few years. And so we really put some gasoline on the fire and like it blew up. And we had 1,500 respondents uh, for that first survey and uh, decided to make it an annual tradition. And uh, so now we've done three installments of it and we've tracked data over the time and we've refined the survey. It's now like over 50 questions and it's really detailed and people who've participated in it, um, they have really responded well to saying, you know what, this feels like it really cares for our tribe. Um, one, because I'm not charging anything for it. I don't want to make a dollar off of the youth pastors participating. <laughs> so, yeah. 
No, I, I love the survey. I've been a big fan of the past few years um, uh, of it. A group puts out a survey as well, but this survey is much different because it, it tells a story better. I know uh, last fall when group put out their survey, um, it was posted in like a co-ed youth ministry Facebook group. And someone said, Hey, like, look, this gender wage gap. And everyone was like, what, what gender wage gap? And there's lots of grumbling and we'll get into that in a minute. But people were like, uh, this survey has some holes in it and seems like things are missing. And I was able to go to, uh, the website where this survey was, uh, hubbed and able to pull like direct articles on what it means to be like a woman in youth ministry specifically and what the gender wage gap is off of your site. And I was able to like show them like, yeah, like groups was really great. I, I'm not knocking groups, but here's some more comprehensive information from this youth pastor compensation salary. Um, and it really helped bring the conversation forward. And I think it's because you guys do a good job of telling the story. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I actually reached out to the guy whose name was attached to the group survey and never heard back from them because I really wanted to figure out, is this a survey of just group subscribers? Like, how did you go about getting your your people? Because I can confidently say mine uh, comes from uh, the youth cartel email list and me posting it on Facebook. And so it's all the youth pastors that are in community together are the ones that are participating in mine. We send it to a few like like lists that we've gotten access to, but like for the most part, it's pretty organic. And so it's really the everyday youth pastor that participate in all the same groups that all the, all of your listeners are probably going to be in. Like those are the places where this data was pulled from. And so I think everybody's like, Oh, this is like actually relevant to me. Absolutely. So, you know, having done this for a few years now, what would you say is like your greatest finding or your greatest learning or just something that you have found really interesting throughout all of this? Um, well, I, I don't know if it's my greatest finding. I think it's one of the most significant ones that needs to be acknowledged every time I talk about the survey. There is unbelievable pain in our tribe, in both genders, mm. about their compensation. Yeah. Um, the last part of the survey every year has offered a place where it's like, if you have any comments, questions, or you just want to rant, like this is a safe place to do that. And I have gotten full on vignettes written by people um, that felt like they just needed to say, I've been at this church for 14 years and they've never given me an ounce of pay. I just had a kid and my church made me be here on Sunday. Like cra crazy, unbelievable pain um, in the name of Jesus that youth pastors have put up with um, in the name of loving kids and teenagers because they keep their eyes on that prize and not on their own health. And um, I think you're seeing a rise in spiritual direction, spiritual formation, and conversation around burnout at a seminary level, even at a Bible college level. Um, but every company out there is talking about those things because people are starting to speak up about the pain that they're experiencing, and they're not just taking it on the chin for the sake of the ministry. And I think that's a, a motion towards health that is really, really important to acknowledge. And so if you're a listener to this podcast and you have pain around your compensation or your benefits or the amount of hours you're working or the amount of time off you haven't gotten, whatever those things are, I want you to know, A, you're not alone, but B, that's not an excuse for you to stay in that space where you have to keep on taking blows. Um, there, there's ways out of that. And that was 
part of what I wanted to do with the survey. I wanted to equip youth pastors to be able to walk into their boss's office and say, hey, just so you know, I'm undercompensated, the numbers say, by you know X percentage. What, 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 what does the church think about that? Um, and we found that, um, that uh, 80, over 80% of youth pastors don't ask for raises each year. Wow. And 65% of youth pastors don't have an annual review where they could even have that conversation with their boss. They don't have an annual review where they can be evaluated on the job they're doing and their responsibility amount and say, hey, you know, look at all the kids we baptized or look at all the kids we put through confirmation or look at the increase in kids we took to camp or the number of volunteers I recruited or whatever those things are that look good or bad, whatever they are, Mm -hmm. or the place where you can say, hey, you know, in the last year I bought a minivan, had a kid, bought a house, got married, whatever those things are. And you go, hey, you know, my life is different than when I was 23 and single. I could could use a a pay increase. Um, And, you know, not to say it's your boss's fault that you don't have a pay increase, but Sunday is always coming for these guys. Like tyranny of the urgent, these guys went to school to teach the Bible. Their experiences in leading church and sitting by people who are dying in the hospital, it's not business management. Like, unless you're in a church that has an XP that is like business oriented, right. you're probably at a church where there's nobody in charge of human resources. You are in charge of your own human resource. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know that's so true. I mean, we often say that churches suck at HR, but it's because churches don't have HR, like most don't. Um, and even if you're in a big church like mine that does have an HR department, you still have a responsibility to ask for the things that you need. Um, and I know that I used this survey to ask for what I needed this last year and said, I believe that I'm being undercompensated. And so I literally printed off the report and handed it to my supervisor during our year-end review. And I was like, well, here's all the information. <laughs> and and you you hold the power uh, as the as the youth pastor because it's my, my data says it's going to be more expensive for the church to replace you than it is mm-hmm. to actually give you the raise because for them to hire somebody with your credentials, whatever they are, whatever your experience and education level is, uh, if they're going to hire an equal person, they're going to end up paying them 10% more, my data says, or, or almost 11% more than what you're make, currently making, which is why I said one of the sad parts of the survey that I discovered was the best way to get a raise is to go down the street, unfortunately. It's, it's to go get another job and make the jump. The people who have had three jobs in 10 years, they're making significantly more than the person who has 10 years at one church. And that's not incentivizing us to stay put. And so part of it is us knowing our worth and being able to have constant conversation about that. And maybe you don't get that raise that first year, but that pot stays on the stove. And that means the next year when you say, hey, you know, there wasn't a raise last year, but this year is there room for one? Or maybe, you know, like this is how a lot of these things happen. Maybe somebody dies and leaves a hundred grand to your church. And all of a sudden there's room for a bonus. Well, you've been having the conversation with your boss and now they know, hey, we need to find a way to get some of this money to our youth pastor because we've been underpaying them for a season and we want to make up for that. Churches do want to do right by you, but they have to be aware that they're not doing right by you. And so the survey is designed to empower in humility youth pastors to know what they're worth. Sure. So speaking of 11%, um, one of the things that you found in this report is that there is a gender wage gap of 11.8%. That 
that the average woman makes 40, just around 43 and a half thousand. And the average man makes just under 50,000. So that's yeah. about a six thousand, six and a half thousand dollar difference. A few observations. So one of the observations that I think is important to make is um, the rise of egalitarian youth ministry is fairly recent. And so you have many, many, many veteran youth pastors and very, very few of them are women because it just hasn't been a thing in the church, unfortunately, in most streams until like the last 15 years, 10 years. Um, you know, I know certain denominations have been egalitarian for a long time, but that doesn't mean they've hired that way. They've theologically been that way, but they haven't hired that way. Well, but you've even said, we've talked about before, how even those denominations that are egalitarian, they are they are contributing to this gender wage gap too. I know my uh, denomination is United Methodist Church. Honestly, most UMC youth pastors I know are female, but according to your stats, we're paid pretty significantly less than men. Yeah. So the, the United Methodist Church is a fascinating case because uh, Methodists, they, actually the survey doesn't, I don't think just, uh, it puts them all in one group, which is fine for our purposes. We'll just call them Methodists. Um, they hire the most women in terms of like affirming women's call to ministry, but they pay them significantly less than their men. At least that's what the data says. Really sad. Uh, it was like 30% difference. It was a significant number, not a small number. Wow. Pres Presbyterians, far more, far more equitable for women. Um, and, you know, a few less per capita, like, you know, I think it was 33% of my female respondents were Methodist and 20% of my female respondents were Presbyterians. So the number of women participating that were Presbyterian was a little bit less, but they were paid significantly better. Uh, I'll also say in this year's survey of the top 150 youth pastors, 5% uh, of them were women of the top wow. 150. Uh, now, part of that, part of that is there are not like most of the highest compensated youth pastors are veteran youth pastors with they all have education. Like the, the industry has pointed to them being that way for a long time. And women are just now catching up to that. And I'm not saying women are catching up. I'm saying the churches are catching up and hiring those people. And here's why I say that they're catching up, because um, in terms of under three years experience, uh, and I found this finding last year and this year's survey affirmed it. Last year, I said, first time youth pastors, meaning they were in their first year of vocational ministry, women actually were being paid better than their male counterparts. And they were better wow. qualified also. So churches like last year were paying introductory youth pastors a better wage than male youth pastors. I love that. That was a great glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. So did this year's survey back it up? Well, yes, those people fall into the one to three year bracket. And now if you're three years or less in ministry, my data says the women are actually getting paid better than their male counterparts, which means some churches are saying, we want to put a line in the sand and say, we actually want to go above and beyond, not just even say like apples to apples equal. We want to affirm above and beyond compensation of women. And so they've actually tried to like make up for it, quote unquote. I have floating bananas if you were watching a video of this. <laughs> um, because I think some churches are saying, you know what, let's be bold and say, we actually want to pay a, a new youth pastor really good money and they happen to be a girl. Like, let's be great about that. Um, so I think there's actually hope that the church is going to catch up and you're going to start to see that that number, like it's, get, it's smaller than it was a year ago. It's down 1%. If it was down 1% every year for the next decade, it'd be equal. That sounds really slow, but I mean, that's about the rate the church has moved, unfortunately.
And so, sure. um, you know, you're seeing compensations going up better than COLA, uh, the cost of living adjustment that the Fed gives every year. It was a better rate of increase overall for youth pastors this year. And women really anchored that in a, in a really positive way. So I, I'm encouraged by that. It doesn't mean we, we're out of the woods yet. There's still a lot of work to go. Um, you know, there's a few really well-paid youth pastors out there that are women, a few. Um, and I, when I say really well-paid, I mean, they're in the, the top 50. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason, two, two of those uh, highly paid women are in the most expensive places in the country to live. So part mm-hmm. of it is just housing that they're affirming. They're not affirming sure. gender or whatever. They're just paying them for where they're living. And then there's a few out there that are names in youth ministry that are really well compensated. And that's great to see. But there's a lot more guys out there, unfortunately. Not unfortunately. It's just the way that it is right now. And it doesn't give a lot of um, encouragement for women to say, you know what, I'm going to pursue a career in youth ministry. And I'm going to be able to support my family and do the things that I feel like God's calling me to do. It's hard. Like it's hard, it's hard for males to do that. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and you know, I know a lot of stories of women who have really struggled with this. Um, I've heard you say before that the church should be the leader in uh, mending the gender wage gap, that the church should be leading in equality. And I totally agree. Um, As a Methodist, of course, we believe that church should be uh, kind of the leader of all cultural and social and um, I don't know, just like all things right in the world. Um, So one question that I have is, you know, say you are a female Mm -hmm. and you find out that there is a man who is underneath you or equal to you, who is pretty, maybe pretty equal to you, maybe even a little bit uh, maybe a little bit less experience, a little bit less education, and you find out that they make more than you. How do you approach that conversation with HR? Uh, what I find is a lot of the time they're not even aware of that. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of churches, especially with their youth pastors, they hire based on what the person needs, not what's fair. And so they find like maybe you have a college degree, but they have a family and you don't. Like there's a lot of reasons why churches pay people less and it sucks like they go oh this person doesn't have a family so we don't need to pay them as much we're not going to even offer them as much as we would somebody who has to support a family because they know that they can't afford to take that number now that's not always the case but um it there's a perception out there that men are the breadwinners and women are to make some bread but also care for the family and that's that's a little bit archaic in in the way that the world works legal isn't it well, it, no, it's the perception. It's the perception that this person is the breadwinner for their family. And so I need to pay them like a breadwinner. And this person over here is not the primary breadwinner. So they don't need to be paid like a primary person. That That's, I don't know that we're, we're, we're nonprofits. We can pay people however we want. Most of the time mm-hmm. we can discriminate to, to the nth degree. We can hire somebody based on their marital status. Like, or, or not their marital status or their sexual orientation or whatever, because we're nonprofits. So a lot of those rules don't apply. Um, we can say these are job qualifications. We want you to be married or young family or whatever. It's, it's a little bit sketch. Um, that doesn't mean we should. I believe that the church should be the leader in business ethics. And so uh, you should be hiring ex-youth pastor with ex-credentials. And you don't even care what their name is. 
right? Because you can tell a lot by their name, let alone their gender. But like, I'm saying we shouldn't be looking at how many kids do they have? How many family, how many, you know, unless those are important things to your church, like we're hiring a men's pastor. Well, you probably want to hire a guy for that and not even a young guy. You probably want to hire an older guy, right? Like it, it makes a little bit of sense, but when it comes to caring for teenagers, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't need to make sense that way. Um, and so, you know, I can see where churches do what they do the way that they do it, but that doesn't, I don't think that that justifies for our specific tribe, the way that it is right now. And I think that's why you're seeing it start to change. I I really do. Um, there's some important voices out there that are affirming this movement that is, I think it's great. And, and I, I want to be one of those because I've experienced the pain as a guy of having compensation that has not taken care of my family. That's why I left my last church. And, you know, nobody wins when that happens. The students sure as heck don't win, you know, and that's what we're all after. We're all, we're all after creating long-term trust building relationships with students so that we can point them to Jesus. Like that's the whole point. And so it doesn't do you any good to be there two years and then move on. Like, (laughs) for sure. So say, you know, you are reading this youth pastor compensation salary report and you're like, all right, I am definitely undercompensated. What do you recommend are the next steps? So the first thing I would do is make sure that you're undercompensated. The way to do that is go to churchsalary.com and pay the $25 for a PDF that downloads. And that PDF will literally, on a bell curve, place your compensation on the bell curve for your zip code and surrounding areas. And it takes, and then it will show you what other people in your area are earning in other industries, like doctors, teachers, all those types of professions. Um, so you might go, man, I'm underpaid, like, because I have this much experience and this much education. And like, that's not necessarily true because in California, you can have no college degree and you need to make $60,000 a year as an entry level. I mean, it's just not apples to apples. So go to churchsalary.com and, um, Here's what I'll tell you. Churchsalary.com is owned by by Christianity Today. Um, it's one of their divisions of Christianity Today. Mm-hmm. Christianity Today uses my survey data in their churchsalary.com tool. So what it's going to do is it's going to give you a clear interpretation of the data for where you live with your credentials, um, rather than you trying to piece it together from the report. The report's written as a narrative. And so go to, go to churchsalary.com get the information that says, you know what, I'm underpaid. I'm in the bottom, you know, quarter of compensation. Because with an average, every 50% of the people make less than the average. So just understand, like, you know, there's always going to be somebody who's underpaid, quote unquote. Um, And then take that report to an annual review. If you don't have an annual review, get one. Ask for an annual review. If your boss says no, you should find another church. (laughs) <laughs> no ser- seriously because that was a huge red flag of we don't actually care about evaluating the ministry that's happening here and the people that are doing it so go to a church that will like you're qualified to to do that and as hard as it will be to say goodbye to those students and those families and sell your house and pull your kids out of school or whatever you got to do like you're talking about the longevity and the health of your call in ministry like you have to babysit mm. that thing otherwise it's going to spiral and the problem is when it spirals I call it the bucket of bitterness. Every time you, you know, can't afford shoes for your kids or can't afford T-ball or can't afford to buy the new car when yours breaks down and you get bitter at your church not paying you enough, you put a drop of water in the bucket of bitterness. And eventually that Mm. bucket of bitterness gets so full and you kick the bucket. And when kicking, kicking the bucket looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, but that's where affairs happen. 
It's where addiction creeps up, numbing. It's where your marriage is in, on the rocks because you're yelling at each other about compensation. And, and really, like you haven't done the work around that compensation. So how do I surrender that? Well, part of surrendering it is raising my voice and saying, Lord and boss, both of those people, I feel like I'm being undervalued. Let the Lord speak to that and let him remind you of your true value. And then let your boss speak to you and say, you know what? I acknowledge that you're being underpaid. Let like the first step is being heard. If you're heard, you can put up with a lot for a long time because you know that they hear you and they can only hear you for so long and will let so many budget cycles go by before they have to do something about it. Um, so it, it starts with an annual review. Um, a lot of churches I've found, they don't have a pastor do the annual reviews. A lot of the time they'll have one of their board members do it who has like mm -hmm. got some experience with budgets or personnel. That's fine. Mm -hmm. It's somebody who has authority at your church needs to do your annual review. Um, it's not one of your volunteers that does your annual review because it's not just performance. It's all of those things. That would be the path I would recommend. That's great. I mean, I did all those things with your help earlier uh, or last semester when um did the survey on church salary and brought it to my annual review. And at the very end, uh, my supervisor always asked, you know, is there anything that you wanted to talk about? And I just slipped it on over and was like, oh. all right, I was promoted earlier this year. You told me that there was no budget left in the year to give you my salary. And when I was promoted and I told you that was okay, I just wanted the title and the authority <laughs> and you could pay me later. Um, I understood where we were coming from, but here we are, it's a new year and I would like my salary adjusted. And um, I said it just that confidently, not arrogantly. And they were like, you are correct. Thank you for this report. And we're going to look over it and we'll let you know in a month. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> um, still have not heard back yet. Uh, you know, pray for me, but <laughs> I think it's what you just pointed to is something that a lot of people don't know because they've never done this process of asking for a raise. It, churches don't aren't like other organizations where you walk into a review and you walk out with a new contract where mm -hmm. you you get the adjustment on your next paycheck. Very rarely does that happen at most mid-level to smaller churches. Larger churches, they have the equity to be able to handle something like that. And, and there you will. You get the raise right then and there in the middle of the fiscal year. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. Because a lot of the times our budgets are voted on. And so yeah. it has to go through a cycle of, okay, we're going to write in the adjustment for the following fiscal year. And we can't pay you until that's approved because we're locked into our pay structure. Like, because we're locked into it because our congregation votes on those things. I, I know denominations have a lot of that polity. And so you have to understand that you have to, if your budget season is the fall, like our, our fiscal year is December one, it starts. That means we're budgeting in the fall. That means my employees that I'm, I'm the head of HR for, they need to be doing their annual reviews in the next two months, hmm. March and April, so that we yeah. can spend the summer figuring out what we're going to cut so that we can pay people more if we're going to have to do that. In California, that's the conversation everybody's having right now because the wage increase. And so like we have to have a six month head start so that our congregation can vote on it in October, so that we can affirm it in November, so that we can have it in place in December. You're talking months to get that raise. Yeah. But you gotta do that work. That's the industry we work in. Hmm. It sounds like I mean, that has given me really good information to bring to our HR team because we actually do annual reviews after the budget has been approved, which is a several month process. But that seems to make more sense to do it beforehand. Yeah, my church was the same way until uh, last year. And I raised my voice and I said, hey, it doesn't do us any good to do annual reviews in January, because we just locked into a, a budget month, a budget for 10 more months. Like, 
you need to do the, you need to do those reviews. And they, they were not doing reviews primarily because of compensation and benefits. They were doing it for ministry purposes. And January is the slow season, right? How did we go through Christmas? How did we do with our fall kickoff? Well, that's great. But the problem is part of the annual review has to be talking about compensation benefits and workload. And we have, maybe you need to do two reviews, then, you know, anyway. Right. Well, we're coming up on the, on the end of our time, but I have two quick questions that um, I just love to ask because um, we have lots of women listening. This is our women in youth ministry podcast. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, what do you want a woman to get from all of this? And then hopefully we got some dudes listening too. So what would you want a man who is listening to hear from all of this information we talked about today? Yeah, great. Um, uh, let me, let me address uh, my brethren first, the, the, the guys <laughs> listening. Um, guys, you hold a lot of power. You hold a lot of power by how you treat the women around you, how you affirm them. And I'm talking your teenagers first, the way you affirm teenagers and how God may be affirming their call to ministry. Even if you're at a church that doesn't have, that has complementarian ministry, that believes that women can't be pastors or elders, um, you can still affirm somebody's call to ministry or what you see their God-given potential is. So with great power comes great responsibility. Please don't let polity get in the way. Now you can have your own theological beliefs, and that's fine. Keep listening to the podcast, <laughs> sure, <laughs> and re read a few other books because you and I would disagree on that one, people. But um, <laughs> and then for those of you who are in managing positions, um, or you know, your youth pastors, um, or you want to be youth pastors, man, uh, and your your guys, like you need to understand that the culture is changing around this. The the church culture is changing around this, and uh, it would be wise for you to find ways in your theology to begin to affirm egalitarian ministry. And there's a lot of great resources out there um, across the board. And there's honestly, my church just went through this. There's not a lot of great complementarian resources that don't just point to tradition. Right. Most of the most of the complementarian arguments that we find out there are, hey, it's always been this way, hmm. and that's not enough anymore. So now let me talk to the women for just a second. Um, I think it's important for you to hear that you're special. Like, and I'm not just saying that sarcastically, that you are wonderfully, beautifully made perfectly and that God didn't call you to ministry on accident. Like it's important for you to just know that part of that personal call I talked about, that stage one call, um, you may have some people or some systems in your life that don't even acknowledge the possibility of that. And I, I don't want to be that voice. I want to be the voice that says, oh, you got to listen to that Holy Spirit that's inside of you. And then you need to have people around you that can encourage that also. Now, they need to be honest with you that, yeah, you're called to ministry or not. And the reason you're not called to ministry cannot be because of your plumbing. <laughs> it, has, mm -hmm. it has to be a, a not seeing the spiritual gifting in you type of thing, right? It, it needs to not be about that kind of stuff, personality, all that kind of thing. So uh, I just want you to know that you're valued, that you're essential, that uh, it takes many types of pastors to reach many types of people. That's the good old Rick Warren quote, right? Many types of churches to reach many types of people. And uh, so you, whether you're an introvert, non-athletic, quiet woman, who is not the stereotypical, loud, obnoxious youth pastor, extrovert, who's a jock, like, there's plenty of introverted, quiet women who aren't athletic that, or guys that you are going to have influence on in ministry. Uh, Absolutely. Do it. Go for it. Like, and schools will affirm it. Like, go get some training, get some qualifications. 
find places to serve. I'll tell you one of the places, if you need to pad your resume and you can't find a youth pastor job, parachurch. There's no parachurches out there that won't hire women. They, they all will because they want anybody who's gifted. I, I'm talking in general, like Youth for Christ, Young Life, uh, all the Christian camps out there. A lot of them are looking for people who are just good at caring for students. Go do that for a couple of years. And then a church might say, hey, you know what? They've had some leadership experience. Let's take a chance. Like, so there's other ways. Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have shared so much wisdom today, Dan, and I'm really thankful for you being on and just appreciate your voice in this conversation. I mean, there are like not a lot of resources out there, or at least that are apparent uh, for people who have HR related questions. And as a woman, there are a million HR related questions because we have questions about, you know, pay and pregnancy and all kinds oh, yeah. of things. And we won't even get into that. Um, yeah, complicated. But it is complicated, but I just really appreciate you coming on and just sharing some of your wisdom. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, and my, my offer, like my affiliation with chemistry staffing is a really, really beautiful one. Uh, we want to give everything away. And so if you need help looking at an offer letter, if you need help with a resume, if you have questions that you like, if you're li listening to this, I don't care if you're a guy or girl, whatever, um, or if you're a manager or whatever, like, uh, our, our company is here to help and we have resources that doesn't cost a penny. Uh, we make our money from having churches hire us to find them quality candidates. And we serve women, we serve men, we serve churches that don't do either. Like, I mean, so please, like my email will be in the show notes, like send me an email and let me know how I can help and serve you. I'm here for our tribe. That's the whole point of why I do what I do. So. Absolutely. Yes. We'll definitely put your contact information in our information box and um, any other resources that we feel apply. So thanks again, Dan. Hey, Alrighty. so good to be here. Thanks. Thanks.